0: I'm so sure you're going to be a part of the show.
1: It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, June the 24th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, coming to you this Monday morning. Actually, majority of the show was done yesterday, but there was... As you all know by now, uh, a lot of news coming out late and had to run a couple of audibles and uh, unpacking it here. And you're going to get probably about 30 minutes more than you normally do on this 60-minute podcast. So hopefully you enjoy the bonus coverage uh, because I don't want to have to, you know, create two or three podcasts here. I think it's all still worthwhile putting it into one uh, what do we have coming up for you? Well, uh, originally I had planned uh, this week the Syracuse Mets, or actually last week, the Syracuse Mets visited the Charlotte Knights, and a, and a good friend of mine, Jim Mojo-Morrison, does game day operations for the Knights, and he had a chance to catch up with Anthony Kay, who did a start down there. He actually interviewed Anthony K. You'll hear that short interview in just a bit. And I wanted to talk to Mojo about the Syracuse Mets. I know that's not where the prospects have been, but... Riley Gilliam, uh, the Clemson closer they drafted, is uh, now in Syracuse. I thought maybe Steven Nagosik would be there, but of course he was brought up, so uh, that became a moot point. And then Steve Vilnies, who did not uh, have a chance to uh, pitch, as he's been sent back down to uh, A to work on some things. He's another reliever. Wanted to see what he thought about the relievers. Of course, there's Dilson Herrera and Ruben Tejada. Component pieces, bench pieces that potentially could help this club as uh, as we go along. So you hear from um, from uh, Jim in just uh, a couple of minutes. And then later on, uh, we were going to talk about Phil Regan and that hiring and Pete Alonzo's historic home run with our friend Rich ninety 98.7 ESPN. He's heading down to Philadelphia and then all hell broke loose in the Mets clubhouse and the tone and everything that we were going to do and talk about on this show changed for the worse and um, I hate to say that I didn't see this coming, but I did see this coming. I've been talking about a lot of this throughout the year. I think the media coverage has been really bad of this team. And I don't think it's because of hard questions. I think it's because of unfair narratives and one-sided type of situations where everything that is said and done with this organization is being portrayed as, well, they don't know what they're doing or they're they're moving from from plan to plan. And I don't know if you can with a GM that hasn't even been on the job a year who in just about a week may pull off a coup of a draft uh, to replenish the farm system, who is trying to win in a sport where it's not easy to win now and continuing to do that while building infrastructure and building – what he wants going forward. You can't do that while you have a media that's going to just go out there, a national and a local media that's going out there and trying to paint every move as a circus. Do you realize earlier this week, before they even had a chance to understand why Dave Island, who, by the way, I, I didn't think that was a great move. I know the pitching has underperformed, but Island is a, a well-respected pitching coach, has, has won a World Series in two places. But be that as it may, Brody Van Wagenen came in, inherited guys, tried to see if some of the leftovers may have some value. And, and when it turned out that his vision— which involves heavier use of analytics, which is exactly what this organization uh, was lacking uh, when it came to certain areas was missing. They went out and they pivoted and they brought in Phil Regan to do the field stuff on an interim basis. And they have Jeremy Accardo, former big leaguer uh, doing this pitching strategist role. It's a little bit more than maybe what I'm used to and, But it seems like other teams are doing it, and and it goes into the preparation and and pitchers understanding how best to use their repertoire. And before anybody asked any questions about that, all they did, the media, was make fun of the guy's age. Where else do you make fun of an 82-year-old and get away with it? Uh, A guy who has still a lot of spunk after he saw some stories about how he's trying to evolve and trying to move forward. Uh, you know, they got a chance to learn about a Cardo and, and and what he's trying to do and, and the work he's putting in. And then all of a sudden, you see articles from a John Harper and a Tim Britton, and they're like, "Well, this is a little bit different." This, you know, that well, that was what this was all about at the beginning. But you decided to try to make it a, a circus before there was even a circus to uh, go after. And, and then yesterday happened, and, and you heard, or you will hear, uh, the terser Mickey Calloway. And look. This team has had four or five gut-punching losses over the last 30 days or so. St. Louis, L.A., Arizona, now Chicago. And in most of those cases, if not all those cases, the moves that the manager made were the right moves in L.A. with the closer just melting down. Uh, you know, Arizona, maybe he went to Gazelman a little bit too much, but... Familia, who has been the biggest culprit out of all this, our injured Familia. Is he injured? Is he toast? We don't know. Um. So, you know, when you make moves as a manager, and then today with Lugo, even though he wasn't at peak Lugo, he was a little bit off, he's still your best reliever outside of Diaz. He pushed him. He pushed him because he didn't trust bringing Gazelle in with runners on base because he really doesn't have at this point with Familia out a plan B – where the formula right now is when we're ahead, we're going to go Lugo on the daisies available for an inning or two, and then Edwin Diaz. You know That's the blueprint, and it's easy to sit back and second-guess that. And it's a fair question by, I think I believe it was Matt Eholt of the record. And Matt and I have had words on Twitter and and don't agree on a lot, but fair question. Why not Diaz for five outs? And it sounds like there's a hesitation there. I don't know if it's the proper hesitation, Um Because I think at this spot, with this game, in this situation, if you were going to push Diaz, this would be the situation to do it. Maybe five is a bit much as you start to, especially against the club, as you get to the middle of that order that, you know, seem to be really working the count and and making these relievers go deep because you don't want a reliever going 25, 30, 35 pitches. Uh, Maybe it was a situation where you want to save him for tomorrow. That's always a, a bugaboo of a manager. Whatever the situation is, it was a fair question, but... I guess Calloway anticipating a lot of follow-up and nasty pushback, aggressively pushed back on that question to E-Halt, which you'll hear in the montage before we, you know, later on when we when we get to that. And, um, and then as the presser was over, Tim Healy of Newsday, who's been on this program, who I think does good work, who actually out of the writers that, you know, that are on the beat, you know, with some of the younger ones, like a Tim Britton, like a Healy – that seemed to be trying to look at things a little bit different. I didn't expect him to be the one there where Callaway finally blew up, and I guess healy had said something along like "see you tomorrow, Mickey," and maybe it sounded sarcastic. And Callaway goes after him, and and Vargas goes after him, and I wasn't there, and 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 I I don't know, and and you know I don't think we're gonna know because I don't think Mickey now is going to be allowed to really expand upon it. I think he's just going to be forced to apologize and move on the media is going to protect their guy so the story is always going to be uh, lifted with a, a negative manager slant so how do you move on and and what why did this happen because it's not about the question the question was a fair question and it, it's tensions are high after a tough loss. Where you still every time you feel like you do something, it blows up in your face. And then why does it blow up over a guy saying goodbye to Mickey? Why is it that innocuous? And it's always when a person has been pushed to their to their to the or cornered where it's the thing that does the least. Wars get started over stupid things, but it's a lot of big things that lead up to the one stupid thing where people say have enough. And I think you see that here because if you look at Twitter, if you read Twitter, which the media uses as like a playground to make jokes and not take it seriously, and that's to me, that's the problem with the medium because it could be a really good tool. I use it as a news aggregation, as a way to to get news quickly uh, before it comes out in digital, but it's not really being used like that. Maybe because these guys are burnt out, they're they're tired, they're 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 living and breathing this sport. We could turn off the game when it gets crappy. They can't. They have to sit there and wait. They got to deal with travel, which in this country is, is worse and worse all the time. Um, you know, I know they're getting paid, but it's not an easy job. They chose it. And I think at times that's where some of this behavior stems from. So I am making excuses for them. But I also understand. I always try to understand what the other person is up against because it's never black and white. I try to look at context. I try to understand, well, if I was in their shoes and – and I get it, but if you increasingly and they start to do it on the GM with the come get us line, which was a throwaway line and a guy that was trying to just change the mindset around the organization, which really stems from a lot of the negativity from the fans of the media. Some of it, all of it well justified. But at some point it's tiresome. If every time you want to look at the glass half empty, if you want to live life like that then you know, I feel bad for you. Because I think this guy, Brody Van Wagen, and I think Mickey are trying to do the right thing. I think some of the things have been a little bit out of the box and 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 maybe more than what we're used to, uh, especially after Sandy Alderson was very conservative. But I don't think either one of them are coming to the ballpark and it's like a total incompetent circus. I, I know what this sounds like. This was Omar Minaya and Adam Rubin. And Manaya had a lot of underlings, uh, namely Tony Bernazard, trying to conspire to get him fired, trying to get the manager fired for a lot of their own purposes. I don't think that's the case here. I think you've got a guy in Callaway that is just really tired of the nonsense. I think he's frustrated, um, and I think he blew up, probably from what I understand, at the wrong person in the wrong situation. But he doesn't. Tr- I know for a fact he doesn't trust this beat. And Rich, I'll have Rich speak to that because Rich Catino will be on later. And he doesn't trust him because he doesn't think he's going to get a fair shake. And he doesn't think his answers will ever be appropriately reported. He thinks that they'll be twisted and he thinks that they'll be a combative situation. Which is funny because I sat back and watched Terry Collins throw garbage and BS at these guys for seven years. And I never saw them be have this much moxie. And I asked for it. And, and this is their job. And this brings me back, and what's funny, you don't see this kind of banter or this kind of situation in the media with managers anymore because they're they're hired not, to never have to take the bait. This is an old school baseball story, you know. This is back to the Jeff Torborg, uh, Bobby Valentine. You know, you see the old videos with Lou Pinella going crazy in, in locker rooms and Al McRae and maybe not Billy Martin. I mean, this happened with Billy Martin all the time with reporters, except it happened at a bar. So this is nothing new to the world of baseball. It may be new to some of the new age guys. But you reap what you sow, and you'll hear Rich talk about it. The media has elected not to have... They've elected to have a contentious relationship with Mickey, and I think Mickey has been arm's length um, for a while now because he doesn't know where to go, and he doesn't know how his words are going to be taken. And I think generally he thinks they want him fired, and I believe that. And Brody Van is next because he's the one that there are some in the industry especially in national media, that never wanted him to get the job. Well, he's an agent. Maybe they didn't like the fact that he's from CAA. Maybe he didn't give them a quote or, or story at some point. And right now the analytics crowd and certain people who are in the new age thinking, they feel or they've moved in to the point where they're now setting the rules that they try to bust against for years and years. Remember, everybody's reporting, everybody's situation is an agenda. Everybody has their own belief system here. What I'm coming to you as, I'm just trying to understand what the Mets are trying to do here. I'm not ready to run a GM out of town that's been here less than a year. Mickey, well, listen, can he come back from this? It's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard. I don't think he was going to come back after the season anyway. Because even if they make a wild card. And the funny part is, is despite all this nonsense, if, if they had won today... Uh, you know, they. St- I think they were 3.5 coming into the game out of the wild card or 4.5. There's still right now about 4 or 5 games out of the wild card, 5 in the lost column. Um, there's no indication that this team ever could make the push to 500. So until they show that, you're not really in a race. But even with all this nonsense, there really is still baseball to talk about not selling off. And now the story's changed. And the only positive you could take out of this is that you have a teammate, Vargas, or you know member of the team, really defending their manager. Maybe these guys really like playing for him. Maybe they're tired of seeing what I'm seeing, which nobody wants to ever discuss or talk about because, oh, it's, it's the writers. You can't touch the writers. The writers have to understand, if you go to the zoo and you keep poking a bear, the bear's going to eventually come back at you. And I know that the whole, well, this is New York, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm tired of hearing that New York is the benchmark of media and everything because I see trash being perpetrated in the media in this town on all fronts, not just sports, where I'm not impressed by this town or it's reporting. And you know what? If you want to make it where everybody comes in here and you want to shake them like a rag doll until there's no juice left in them, you're never going to get anybody to want to deal with that crap anymore. So there's fair reporting, there's fair analysis, and then there's, what was fair on Sunday, there's all the nonsense that's come at different various times throughout the season, which led to a blow-up on a fair question on a tension-filled day. So it's not about the Diaz question. It's not maybe even about, goodbye, Mickey. It's about what led up to this and how you know you're poking at the GM. Because you know what? You want to focus on Cano, who is not working out right now. I think Diaz will you don't want to focus on the draft that he that he just completed and looks like he's going to complete. You don't want to focus on how he's he's trying to bring in different types of players here. Um, the the moves with like a Pounders and an Acardo as a pitching strategist. These are analytics based moves. This is what you've been asking for. So you know that's that. that be it as it may, is where I'm at. You can't go after a reporter. You don't win that war. You have to manage the media. I've said that a long time. Mickey right now is at a point where I don't know if this town is for him. Um, I'm not saying he'll never be a good manager, but but clearly he's at a, at a crossroads here, and I don't know if this is a crossroads you could come back from. The media, they better start looking in the mirror because you think this is going to stop with uh, Callaway getting fired? They'll just do it with the next hire. The difference is if it's a Dusty Baker, a Buck Showalter, or a Joe Girardi, and they do this to Girardi a lot. Girardi is very familiar with this. Their resume, though, especially Girardi, who was pushed just like this, even after winning a World Series, is going to make them give pause. One thing I'll give Collins credit, he had them afraid of him. They were afraid to push him like this. They never pushed Collins like this. And now they, you know, after seven years, and maybe some of the criticism, well, looking back, they've decided to do the opposite with Mickey Calloway. Um, and, And I think that's where, when you make a fair point, all the unfair pushing or the pushing, or the inability to develop a relationship where Mickey knows where you're coming from with questions. Because sometimes it's the way the way you phrase it, the way you talk about it, things like that. There's a lot of ways I could ask things or say things on this show. Um, I mean, think about this. They made fun of a man's age and a move earlier this week. Now, that had nothing to do with Callaway, but that's what these guys did before reporting on it. That's not what their job is. I'm sorry. All right, let's take a quick break. Here's how we're going to go. We're going to first hear from our buddy Jim Mojo-Morrison in North Carolina. Uh, That was the plan. I'm going to stick to that plan. Then Anthony Kay. You're going to hear Anthony Kay, And then later on, we'll wrap up with Rich Catino. He's in that room consistently. He's around those guys. What are his thoughts? How does he feel the team is portrayed and covered in the media? Uh, A lot of questions uh, right now. Not a lot of answers. I know a statement came out as I was on the air with Rich last night. So, uh, we'll read that statement from the Mets and then we'll take it away. We may have to do another podcast about this, uh, especially considering there'll be a press conference and whatnot, uh, or I'm not, some kind of conversation the media will have today in Philadelphia. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more
2: right after this. Obviously, the overall goal is making it to the big leagues and, you know, staying up there and pitching as best I can.
3: A goal that may come sooner than we think. Rumble Ponies pitcher Anthony Kay was called up to the Syracuse Mets today. A move that was well overdue. The 24-year-old has pitched lights out in his 12 starts with Binghamton, literally toying with hitters, making it look easy. The Mets' 7th-ring prospect is posting a 1.49 ERA with 70 strikeouts in 66 innings. He's allowed just 13 runs. He's also gathering a whip percentage of 0.92. There's a good chance the lefty will make his big league debut later this summer. The that's promoted 20th-ranked prospect Riley Gillum, a reliever to A after his 12 games. with 50.
1: We're back and uh, joining us, a uh, good friend of mine down in uh, North Carolina. He works for the Charlotte Knights. He does game day operations over there for M I L B MinorLeagueBaseball.com uh, does a ton of other stuff. Covers uh, high school down there. Uh, writes for the Gaston Gazette. CarolinaSportsLink.com has done Afternoon Drive. Uh, a friend of mine has covered the Jets up here. Uh, worked with me over at ESPN Radio. Jim Mojo Morrison at JimMojoMorrison.com, and he had a chance to talk to Anthony K and see the Syracuse Mets this past week as they came into. Charlotte and played the Knights. Mojo, pleasure to have you on. And it, I'll start off with this. It's nice. You've been working in uh, minor league baseball, the international league now for, what, eight years. And this is the first time we could actually call you and say, hey, you got a chance to see the Mets A club, how they look. Uh, other than maybe the All-Star game, we had a chance to talk to Wally Backman and see some players. But this is a, this is a brave new world for the Mets who haven't been in the international league in, in quite a long time.
4: Yeah, I was there. I started back in 2012 when Matt Harvey was coming through with the Buffalo Bisons and, uh, the, and Wally Backman, of course, you mentioned him. And then the next thing you know, the Mets are in Las Vegas. Uh, Wally came into Charlotte in 2015 as the, uh, PCL manager. And th- that was the last contact we had with any type of, uh, Mets affiliates, uh, is even here in Charlotte and, and the International League. So it's kind of nice to have, uh, the Mets uh, in the international league in Syracuse, uh, it, it was quite an interesting week. Uh, three days here in Charlotte when the Mets came through. A lot, of, a lot of happenings here.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the Triple A team, and and you'll say this, I'm sure, is the Mets are using it as a four A place for depth and 40 man depth, and not necessarily off the bat for their prospects. And we've seen an impact. I mean. Uh, You know, uh, uh, Brooks Pounder is a reliever, took a car service from Lehigh Valley to get to uh, City Field so that he could be available that night. You know, we heard the Rajay Davis story where he came and hit a home run after the Uber guy got lost. It's a big difference. And I think most people understood that. But being in the International League and being an East Coast team, it's almost a prerequisite. And now I know the Nationals are having their issues because they got kicked out of Syracuse Uh, It's amazing how this musical chairs of affiliation, which it's been this way now for the better part of 15 years or so, used to be you had an affiliate and you stay there forever. Now it seems like it's, you know, every two, three years, it's musical chairs. But it's good to see the Mets now own Syracuse, so they're not going anywhere anytime soon.
4: Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, you look at this roster that the Mets have uh in triple a and i was talking to their uh, media relations guy who does play by play for them and i said like, well give me the prospects here and you know uh anthony Kay, who i got a chance to speak to uh during the time here uh, in charlotte and uh the kid from clemson that they brought up riley gilliam it, there's not a heck of a lot of prospects on this roster in fact there's nine guys on the roster out of 25 that are 30 years or older uh, on this team, you know, the Irvin Santanas, Rene Rivera, uh, you go through the list, Rajay Davis, uh, Gregor Blanco. I mean, there's so many guys that have been there, uh, the Danny Espinosa trying to make it back. And uh, you, you look at it and you say, well, as far as the future is concerned, uh, what are the Mets going to do? Because if they're not contending, uh, these guys have no service to them.
1: Anthony Kay is uh, one of those prospects, those few prospects, and you had a chance to watch an inning of him the other night, and uh, it didn't go well for him. Uh, The fans uh, who are listening will hear an interview with Mojo and Anthony Kay right after this, a short uh, piece that Mojo did. Uh, Anthony Kay was kind enough to spend some time with him. So uh, from what you saw, I mean, his first two starts, clearly not the same level of performance that we saw in the Eastern League with the uh, the B-Mets. They still call them the B-Mets, the Rumble Ponies. What were your thoughts on Anthony Kay when you saw him in that brief uh, one inning?
4: Well, he didn't impress, and he had trouble locating his pitch. I mean, his first start out, uh, in Gwinnett, he only lasted four innings. He allowed six hits, five earned runs, uh, left down five to two. Uh, in Charlotte, uh, the other night, I mean, he worked one inning, allowed four hits, four earned runs, walked a batter, uh, threw 42 pitches, and apparently in, in minor league baseball with uh prospects. There's a, a a you know, steadfast rule, you throw forty pitches at the inning, they yank you. Uh he was behind on a lot of hitters, threw seven pitches to the first batter, got him out, then uh could not retire the second batter. I thought that was the key to the game for him. Uh, John Jay, who's on Major League Rehab for the White Sox, had him 0-2. And it kind of reminded me a lot of Wheeler and Syndergaard and Mats, where they get 0-2, they can't put a guy away. Lines up going seven uh, pitches. Jay gets a base hit on an 0-2 that left, was left out over the plate. And then what, what really was uh, startling is the manager – uh, with a run in and second and third, uh, Tony De Francesco plays the infield in. Uh, the next batter gets hit, and then you know the, he would have gotten out of the inning with just two runs and about 32 pitches. Instead. Four runs, 42 pitches. I'm not sure why you play the infield in and the bottom of the first down, one nothing with runners on second and third. Uh, but apparently that's what Tony Francesco did, and it, it wound up costing his number one prospect a chance to pitch uh, further in the game. So Kay was lifted after just uh, one inning. He topped out, Mike, about 97. I think he averaged about 93, 94. Uh, but the location on the off-speed pitches uh, was the biggest problem. He was getting behind hitters and just could not locate the uh, off-speed stuff.
1: It's interesting because that was one of the conversations I know at you know the fans they clamor they see as a 1.4 whatever ERA down in Double A and I, look I've covered the Eastern League that is a pitchers league some of those ballparks you know they're just you know Trenton is one of them the ball doesn't necessarily carry out of there um, we'll get to that carrying the ball in a minute because maybe that's changed it's been it's been a while since I've been covering the Eastern League but um you know he uh, you know you that was one of the things they talked about that they were working with Kay and saying. OK, yeah, you struck out eight guys tonight, but out of those eight guys, these were the pitches that probably weren't strikes that these guys chased. And as you get to AAA, and then the big leagues especially, they're not going to chase. So it sounds in the brief time that you saw him, that's the issue, that he's still not locating his pitches. Is it location or command? I guess that's the question. And if he doesn't begin to locate those pitches, uh, he's not going to make that jump. He's, he's going to be a star in, in the Eastern League, and that's not what this is all about. Now again, let's be fair. Uh, that's not a big deal after two AAA starts, but this is something they've talked to them about, and this is where the numbers for us up in New York and, and on Twitter and and you know all this talk radio and podcast yelling at the Mets. Why is Anthony Kay not you know making these spots start? Why are you looking at uh, Walter Lockett or are you looking at Wilmer Font? Well, here you go. You just heard a guy who saw him in person.
4: Yeah, you. Know, one thing when you look at pitchers' numbers, you know they do lie. Uh, because there are certain things that they do uh, with n- people in minor league baseball to try to make sure that the numbers are where they need to be. Because when you look at the sheet, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you got to look at guys in person. It, you know, I always reference that uh, movie uh, trouble with a curve with Clint Eastwood sometimes standing in front of a computer and looking at numbers, doesn't always tell the story. You got to go out and watch a guy pitch. You got to watch his location. You got to watch uh, what he does when there's guys on base. What is his, you know, fortitude in, in, in tough situations? Uh, What is the moxie that he shows? You know, you look at guys like DeGrom. DeGrom has it. You know, he's a guy that bears down when there's, Trouble you know, and he 's in a jam, and you' at a guy like Matt who always seems to be flustered and, and and has trouble whenever there's guys on base. It looks like you know there's some sort of an adverse situation and it, and it gets to him and those are things you have to watch and the only thing you can you know, learn by it is by being there you know you got, you got to see what 's inside of a guy uh, when he 's out there on the mound and you know Kay seemed like a nice kid I mean I talked to him at, you know had a very good conversation with him. Uh it's just right now watching him pitch. I mean maybe he kinda got rushed a little bit. Maybe he could have used a little bit more time uh in double A, but the Mets seem to be trying to fast track him as you know, quickly as possible to flushing and they moved him up midway through the year. D- just remember Mike, 2017, this guy missed the entire year with Tommy John surgery. So he's only been pitching for a year and change, uh, since the surgery. So it's not, you know, one of those things where this guy's been throwing and throwing and, and learning how to pitch. He got drafted out of, out of UConn, uh, in the first round, had the Tommy John surgery and, you know, literally took a year off while he was rehabbing.
1: Yeah, and sometimes that's the case. They see Steven Matz and the success he had, and you know, I've even said, can they bring him up as a bullpen arm to protect his innings, help the team win now, and still develop him? Sounds like that's not the case. Jim Mojo Morrison, he works over uh, in game day operations and also for minor league baseball with the uh, the Charlotte Knights. The Syracuse Mets were down there for a three game set. Thought it was a good opportunity to get a feel of some of the the, uh, the Mets guys in AAA and and what have you. When the fans hear the piece that you did with Anthony Kay, one of the first things he says unprompted to you is the difference in the ball from the Eastern League to AAA. And the Triple-A baseball is the same as the Big League baseball. It's about, you know, it's a little, what is it, smoother or, you know, it's a different feel. And watching the Mets yesterday, you know, Zach Wheel is struggling with his slider yesterday, despite pitching well. We know Noah Syndergaard hasn't been able to find his slider this year. And I'm wondering. I mean, geez, it's coming down to the point where baseball could say what they want. Uh, even Kevin Kernan, our friend over at the New York Post, was laughing at some of the home runs last night. It could be a combination of the ball being juiced. It could be because pitchers can't grip and make certain pitches move like they normally do. But unprompted, Anthony Kaye said this in the piece, which the fans will hear in just a few minutes.
4: Yeah, you know, it's funny that you uh, mentioned that. I mean, part of the reason why they decided to go to the Universal Baseball in AAA this year was because the pitchers at the Major League level were complaining when they came down for rehab starts they didn't like using the AAA ball, so they would bring their own balls in. So then you would have a guy using a Major League ball uh, in the first inning or second inning when he was doing his rehab, and then they would go back to the AAA ball. And then you had the PCL and the International League. They were using two different types of balls. You know, everybody talks about the PCL and how the ball jumps out of there, and it's hard to gauge, you know, the stats of offensive players and pitchers in the PCL because of the way the ball moves. So they decided, you know, we're just going to use the same ball for everybody. So they're using the Major League ball. And I have a ball from last year in the International League, Mike, and I have one from this year, and you can feel the difference. It's a heavier ball uh, this year. It, it's a different ball, and, and the grip is different, and you can tell the difference right off the bat. If you know anything about baseball and, and, and the feel of it, uh, there's a difference between the ball this year that they're using in minor league baseball and the balls uh, that they're using from you know last year. Uh, across the board it's a big difference and, and you can see balls are just jumping out of the ballpark here in Charlotte I mean we, we see five six seven home runs a night uh, jumping out of the ballpark between the two teams combined sometimes you'll see one team alone hit five home runs in a ball game.
1: yeah and it seems like this is where and you and I have discussed off air a lot of this the leagues want action and entertainment for their regular season and then the playoffs is when it gets serious so The NBA is a three-point shooting contest in the regular season. Then you see the NBA Finals in Toronto and Golden State. They're playing some defense. They're allowed to play defense, and the scores are not, you know, one thirty, one twenty. Now they're sometimes even in the nineties or the low one hundreds, which still is high for back in the heyday of defense in the nineties. But it's it's a reasonable basketball game. The NFL, you can't touch the wide receivers. Still, to the to a certain extent, that's the case in the playoffs. But even in the Super Bowl, you guys saw defense was what won the Super Bowl for the Patriots. Uh, and now baseball is doing this home run derby. Now, look, the Mets fans with Pete Alonso, and I'm not taking anything away from Pete. I think he hit home runs in any era, in any ballpark. He's a big, strong kid. But there's probably been a half dozen home runs that I looked at that I said, wow, that went. And look how far that's moving. So is baseball going to do the same thing, create entertainment with home run derby during the regular season? Now, they, I, I'd be really surprised if they changed the ball because that's the difference between the other two sports and baseball. You could create a rules scenario with the referees that changes the game in the postseason. The only thing the umpires could do is have a different strike zone, which is already controversial. But it would be interesting if they maybe tweaked the ball a little bit. And this is just me throwing something out there for the postseason to normalize what's going on. It's just what I'm thinking about. It's just it's the only way I could honestly see that um, – you know, that this can get done.
4: It's, you know, one of those things, this is what they want. I mean, they think that, you know, go back to the uh, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin commercial in the nineties, you know, chicks love the long ball. And that seems to be something that they're enamored with. Of course we had the long ball during the steroid era and then they, well, all right, we need to get away from that because they're doing it, you know, by artificial means. So baseball's doing it their own way. They're trying to inject uh the long ball into uh, the game and they think that this is going to draw fan interest. But quite frankly, it gets to a point where it's monotonous and, and how realistic is it? Because you you know mentioned, you know, the ball being juiced or it's heavier or whatnot. It's kind of like watching somebody play video games after a while because it's just like all right, balls out, balls out. You know, they talk about pace of game. Like we have this, the pitch clock in minor league baseball at the AAA A and double A level. Uh That works as far as, you know, moving things along in between innings and stuff. But piece the game. You know, we were, I was talking to a, a scout yesterday, former major league player. I mean, give me an, a 2-1 pitching duel, you know, a Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver game from back in the day or, you know, Dwight Gooden on the mound for the Mets or, you know, DeGrom when he's pitching good. Those games go two and a half hours because the pitchers are pitching well. But but with the ball jumping out and the mediocrity and pitching that you have and going to the bullpen in the sixth inning, that's what makes these games go forever, you know, where you're having these three-and-a-half, four-hour games because it's just ridiculous the amount of offense uh, that they're trying to inject into the game. And sometimes you think that if you're a pitcher, it's just not fair because you really don't have a chance with the smaller ballparks and the ball being the way it is
1: uh jim mojo morrison works for the charlotte knights we're talking about the, the syracuse mets who came into town earlier this week get a chance to get his uh take on anthony Kay and, and see if there's anything else in, in syracuse as the mets despite all their problems is still very much in the wild card scrum and i think it's going to be like that in both leagues because right now you have the top you have the bottom and you have the middle and that's why you don't tank because you get in the middle and you get in you never know what happens and what 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 could help – what does what, uh, Syracuse players could potentially be helped to the Mets? So you mentioned uh, Riley Gilliam, uh, the Clemson uh, pitcher the Mets drafted. He's been moving up through the organization really quick. Again, really good numbers. He He's hit a little bit of a speed bump here in AAA. And Steve Vilnius, another guy who – I don't know if you saw him because he got sent back down to AA. He hit a little speed bump in AAA. But these were arms, struggling Mets bullpen. They brought up Nagosik right before he came to Charlotte. Um, they're trying to make flex a reliever. That's been working out pretty well. They're, they're going on the waiver wire and getting guys like Brooks Pounders and Wilmer Font. But Riley Gilliam's been impressive up to this point. He blew a save. Uh, talk about Gilliam. and Is there any other arms that you think could potentially help this team in the bullpen spot start? You know, What did you see over the three days uh, from the Syracuse Mets?
4: Well, Gilliam struggled in the, in the outing I saw. I worked at an inning of two thirds, you know, allowed two hits, a run, walked two guys. Again, command and location, command and location. That's the theme that they stress at the minor league level and he had problems with it. I mean, him and Kay right now seem to be the only, uh, two prospects uh, on the horizon. I mean, they threw a lot of the same stuff. I mean, we saw Paul Seawald, uh, you know, the kid David Roseboom came in, uh, he had just gotten, uh, promoted, uh, from love, um, for Las Vegas from Binghamton. And, uh, he really struggled in the two nights. One night he came in, he didn't retire a batter, uh, three lefties. He got, uh, lit up by all three. Then the next night they brought him in. He worked an inning plus, allowed three hits, uh, three walks. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there uh, in that bullpen for the Mets. You know, the Mets are trying to take whatever uh, Syracuse has that's of any uh, value, and they're bringing it up there. Because, I mean, as you know, Mike, the bullpen in New York uh, and in Flushing has just been horrendous this year. So they're trying to piecemeal it uh, as best they can and then leaving Syracuse uh, whatever you know, is left over. Uh, but Gilliam and, and Kay right now seem to be the only two Pure prospects and everything else is a lot of fill-in. Uh, you know they've got the Luis Coleman to the world and Tyler Bachelors and you know Tim Peterson and you know, a lot of guys like that yeah, I don't like on this that. roster. They,
1: they, they love Bachelor because he throws already, You know Mickey Calloway said he's electric. To me, he's another Ansel Robles. Throws hard, doesn't know where it's going. He'll give you a great inning, but as straight as an arrow. And if he doesn't locate it, where it gets located is into the upper deck.
4: I'm not a big well, you know you, you know, Mike. You look at this, this, uh, this roster. I mean, you know, uh, Gilliam's twenty-two, Kay is twenty-four. Uh, they have uh, Eric Canhold, uh, who's twenty-five, and Bachelors twenty. Everything else is twenty-eight and above on that pitching staff down there. I mean, so these are guys that have been around. That you know, they're recycled uh, players, and there just there just wasn't a lot of uh, promise. I mean, it
1: is. It isn't a bad thing, and you're going to see more of that in AAA because now teams don't value these 30 and overs. They need jobs, and their only job is going to be, well, I'll get a a split contract uh, like Echeverria, who was down here earlier in the year. Now he's on the big league roster, Uh, and I'll wait for my opportunity either here or opt out and go somewhere else. This is going to be AAA baseball mojo, I think, for, for the better part of the future, probably maybe forever.
4: Well, the Yankees used to do it, if you recall, in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. You used to see them, and they had all, like, you know, guys that were, you know, 4A players, as you and I like to say, or guys that were looking for a job, and, you know, the Yankees would stockpile them in AAA, and then if they needed it during the course of the year, uh, they would bring them up. That was their philosophy until they loaded up with all those prospects that they have now, and these young guys. But, yeah, the Yankees went with that philosophy for a, a number of years, and, you know, it worked for them uh over the course of uh their uh you know history. So, you know, that's what the Mets seem to be doing, you, you know, uh Brody Van Vag- Wa I guess thought that this is a team that was going to contend uh when he you know constructed the roster in the off season. So he loaded up the triple A roster uh with a lot of these type of guys to try to add depth and value uh, to the uh, Syracuse Mets roster because, you know, but quite frankly, the Mets prospects, if you look at the organization, they're down in in A-ball, like low A and uh, high A baseball. That's where all their prospects lie. Uh, Columbia's got a lot of pretty good players, and uh, that's where the Mets are going to get, you know, their influx of young players uh, coming through in the future, but that's a couple of years away. Um, you know, of course, they traded the two kids to Seattle that were uh, really good prospects in that Cano-Diaz deal, uh, which I think they're going to rue the day that they did that because I think Cano is done. And, uh, you know, Diaz is, you know, well, we've seen him so far beginning of the year. But, yeah, those two kids were really good. And, you know, they gave up on both of them. And Seattle knew what they were doing asking for those two kids. Uh, and, you know, uh, Wagonham gave them away. So that was a deal that I wouldn't have made if I were the Mets because those two kids are going to be real good.
1: A couple of things before we wrap up here. Um, first thing is uh, there are a couple of old friends that help the Mets make the playoffs on the roster. Ruben Tejada all of a sudden is, is hitting like uh, Miguel Tejada in the AAA. But that's what 4A players do. And Rene Rivera is having a nice time down there in AAA. And I know they love Tomas Nito, uh, who really can't hit, but is doing a great job with the staff. Uh, Wilson Ramos has hit. Uh, or recently has started to hit, but he's looked really bad defensively. Uh, the term "lazy" has been used by Callaway publicly. That's that's disturbing. And uh, you know we've talked a little bit about his Ramos, the issue with the staff, which is debatable. I mean he's a guy who caught Max Scherzer, so maybe Rene Rivera is someone that eventually could help if there's an injury. Uh, and Ruben Tejada, as he rediscovered himself, has have the Mets found something? And even uh, I shouldn't leave out Dilson Herrera, a former uh, you know prospect that left. Jay Bruce has come back, you know, never really made it with the Reds, and uh, they got him from Marlon Byrd from the Pirates when he was a big prospect. Uh, he seems to be trying to become a utility guy, playing all sorts of positions. So there is a few interesting guys that potentially could make for very valuable bench pieces either here or somewhere else. But curious if any of those guys stood out.
4: Yeah, well, Rivera's back in cleanup. He was hitting about 280, 8 home runs, 33 RBIs. I mean, he does a good job defensively. Uh, he, he really, you know, is one of those guys that knows how to call a game and uh, handle a pitching staff. And, and I agree with you, Mike. Ramos has just been killing them at the major league level. I mean, you look at the splits with DeGrom, for, you know, pitching to Nito versus Ramos. And, uh, you know, you need a catcher. You can't sacrifice defense uh For offense at the catcher position uh, Not at the major league level At least not in my opinion, you can't do that Um Yeah, you mentioned uh, Tahada. Tejada has just been like on fire He was batting about 360 Hit for the cycle the other night In reverse order, hit a home run, a triple A double, and uh, also had a single Playing third base A little shortstop, looked good defensively I mean, he is a step above Anything the Mets have on the infield right now To know Uh, Rosario, Frazier, you, you know, Davis, uh, Tejada can play, you know, lights out defense, uh, he's swinging the bat, and Herrera, they're trying to make into a, a jack of all trades. He's playing left field, right field, first base, second base, uh, a little third. He doesn't really do well at third base. The only thing he really hasn't played is shortstop, but they're kind of putting him all over the place. He's batting about, uh, 260, has about 16 home runs, uh, batting about the, in the five holes. Tejada's hitting in the three hole for, uh, Syracuse, uh, but yeah, Tejada stood out the most. And Herrera, you know, he's been, you know, moved around a lot and he's one of those guys they are trying to develop into a utility player. He's only 24 years old, Mike. I mean, uh, he's been around. I mean, he goes, so he's still young. Tejada's only 29. And, you know, I, I wanted to talk to him. Uh, they had a rain delay when I was supposed to talk to him. So he went inside to take uh, batting practice in the batting cage and then he needed a treatment and then it got too late. It wasn't able to really get to him uh but he you know is one of those guys that you kind of root for because he was on a good track until the uh Chase Utley situation in in the you know divisional series back in, uh in 2015 and you just hope that maybe he gets that second chance and gets the opportunity because he's worked really hard he's stayed with it and like you said he's hitting like Miguel Tejada now uh at the Triple A level so hopefully he gets another opportunity uh somewhere if not with the Mets so uh, somebody else picks him up because he's really uh, looked like the old uh, you know Ruben Tejada uh, in the games that I saw him, and I talked to uh, their guys in Syracuse, and, and they said he's played well all year for them, he's been really a, a good asset for this team. Uh,
1: before I let you go, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you, you covered the Jets extensively uh, when you were up here in New York, uh, I think you covered them during the Tebow era, and uh, mm-hmm. here you go, you know, he's... Playing in the outfield for uh, Syracuse. What bothers me is the media makes it sound like it's a fait accompli that he's, he's going to get called up. Sandy Alderson brought him in. I mean, there's debate about whether it was part of the deal with CAA and, and, and Cespedes, and now we know Brody Van Wagenen is the GM and his relationship with uh, Tebow. And up through the system, they talked about how Tebow, regardless of what happens, they were putting him on the team as kind of a team example or leader or things like that. And I know you and I chat a little bit. I'm not sure that's exactly how things are going right now at Syracuse.
4: Yeah. You know, you and I are the anti-narrative uh, people uh, in this business. And, and and that narrative is as false as, as any that we've ever uh, tried to dispel. I mean, based on my observation of people I've talked to, uh, there's not a lot of uh, fondness by the teammates of Tim Tebow at Syracuse. I mean, he's got a private driver, uh, that takes him, you know, around, like he doesn't go with the team at a, a lot of the functions and, and, you know, traveling with them whenever they have the opportunity. Uh, he's batting about 146. And here, here's a good analogy for you. Mike, you ever, like, See the little league level or the high school level. And this is for all the listeners out there where, you know, you have the good athlete that maybe is a, a football player or a basketball player. And you know what? He decides to come out and play baseball and they stick him on the team, but he's just not very good at baseball. You know, he might be a great football player. He might be able to shoot, a, a, you know, uh, three pointers on the basketball court. And that's Tebow. Like when he makes contact, it's an accomplishment. I mean, his bat speed is beyond slow. He's hitting about a buck 46. Uh, you know, just struggles to put the bat on the ball and as an outfielder is absolutely horrendous. I mean, the angles he takes on the ball, unless it's hit right to him. I mean, he played a routine fly ball into a double the other night uh, that cost his pitchers, you know, a bunch of pitches and and, and a run. Uh, you know, it's just one of those deals. He's batting ninth, taking four A.B.s from somebody else. And it, it, it's one of those things he's, you know, you look at him before the game. It's not like he's out there taking extra swings or doing, doing things to improve. He's just signing autographs and shaking hands and kissing babies. And that's what they want him to do. You know, he, he's off doing his own thing and, you know, promoting his religion and his book and all that other kind of stuff. And you say to yourself, I mean, this is just like a circus act. That's what it is. I mean, he's an, I liked him when he was with the Jets as a, you know, nice guy, respectful you know, talks to you as a member of the media. So this is not an anti-Tebow thing or I don't like Tim Tebow type of thing. I'm just giving you what I see and what I've been told and what I hear. And, you know, this is one of those deals, you know, in minor league baseball, the sideshows work because that's what brings people to the fan, particularly in this part of the country. You know, Tebow, you know, it's a phenomenon. I don't know what it's like up in, you know, in Buffalo and Rochester and, and, and places like that in Syracuse. You know, but it's just very, you know, disheartening from a baseball perspective, because the guy's really just not that good. And you're taking a position and a spot away from a potential other guy to develop for you. Uh, I mean, anybody else, they would have been released a a long time ago. He's just not a baseball player.
1: Well, Mojo, listen, thank you so much for getting in touch with Kay. We're going to hear that in just a few minutes. Uh, Great insight. Always a pleasure talking to you. Now that the Mets are in the same time zone, you know, we could maybe do more of these when it's relevant. We've been waiting for this for so long. So be well, man, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All righty?
4: All right, Michael. Great job. Uh, just keep up the good work anytime. You got my number. Just give me a call. It was a pleasure.
1: All right. Jim Mojo Morrison, at Jim Mojo Morrison on Twitter. Follow him. I know he's down in Carolina, but uh, Charlotte Knights, maybe you get a chance to see what's going on when the uh, Syracuse Mets are in time. town, town, jeez. Uh, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, you'll hear Jim uh, Mojo Morrison interview Anthony K. Short interview. We'll hear from Anthony K. And then later on, our friend Rich Catino, uh, ESPN. We'll talk about the current Mets and what's going on in Flushing as the Mets still are in this wild scrum. So, anyway, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back.
5: Hey Mets fans, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled, all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today.
0: We're talking
6: Mets here at BB&T Ballpark in Charlotte, North Carolina with the New York Mets. Top pitching prospect, number three in the organization, just recently added to the MLB pipeline, top 100, uh, Anthony K. joining us. Anthony, great to see you. Uh, how's the transition going from uh, AA to AAA so far?
2: It's good. You know, it's a little interesting, you know, having to pitch with these, uh, you know, international balls. It's a little bit different. You've got to get used to it. It's a little bit more slick, so, you know, kind of got a little, got a little bit more feel for the ball. Now,
6: your first outing last week against Gwinnett, you lasted four innings. When you look back on it, uh, gave up uh, five runs, six hits, struck out six, walked one. How would you grade yourself?
2: Uh, I mean, I just got to get ahead a little bit more. You know, I mean, you know, those six strikeouts that I had, I was getting ahead and, you know, putting them away. And, you know, I got hurt in the second and third inning because I was getting behind. You know, they're taking advantage of my mistakes.
6: All right. For Med fans that are familiar with you, you uh, went to Ward-Melville, same high school that produced uh, Steve, current Mets, Stephen fellow softball. Um, you and Stephen, uh, I know he's a four years older. Did you ever cross paths uh, during your time growing up playing uh, sandlot ball out in Long Island?
2: Uh, we never played together, but, you know, we have these uh, clinics that we go back, and, you know, all the former players and current players go and help, you know, other kids in our town. And so, you know, I've seen him there a lot, and, you know, I talked to him about, uh, you know, how's, how's it going with him and things like that.
6: Were you a Mets fan growing up, or did you root for that evil empire in the Bronx or some other team?
2: Yeah, I was rooting for the evil empire. Not, no longer.
6: <laughs> Mets drafted you out of high school, uh, but you chose to go to UConn and uh, pursue some school and some college experience. Uh, did you regret that, or are you glad you made that decision?
2: No, definitely glad I made a decision. You know, I got to play at UConn for three years, you know, got to experience things like Team USA and, you know, Cape Cod and, you know, won a conference championship there. And, you know, it's definitely uh, three of the most fun years of my life playing baseball. The
6: Mets uh, come back after your draft eligible, uh, you know, after your three years in college and draft you again. What was going through your mind when the Mets took you the second time?
2: Yeah, you know, they were like, they were the hottest team on me the whole time, you know, going through the whole draft process and things like that. So, you know, I wasn't really surprised, but, you know, it was, it was really cool to, you know, get drafted by a hometown team and, you know, really excited. Now,
6: after you get drafted, you wind up having to get the Tommy John surgery, which seems to be the trend in, in Major League Baseball, minor league baseball uh, for that matter as well. What was that experience like for you? Was it disheartening? I mean, how did you keep your spirits up not being able to play for an entire year?
2: Yeah, it's not fun, especially, you know, when you first get drafted, you know, you want to get out in the field and show everyone what you can do, but, you know, you kind of just got to be patient with the process and, you know, kind of just do what, you know, everyone tells you to do and, you know, stay strict with the rehab and the throwing program and, you know, definitely came out stronger from it. Right, we're talking with
6: Mets pitching prospect Anthony Kay here at BB&T Ballpark in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he is the Mets' uh, number one pitching prospect, number three overall in the organization, and in the top 100 of MILB pipeline. Anthony, when you look back, if I was, was scouting you or you were scouting yourself, and someone asked, H- "What is Anthony Kay the pitcher?" How would you give a scouting report on yourself?
2: That's a tough one. You know, try to uh, you know attack the zone, and, you know, put guys out quick rather than you know getting a little too cute and you know I'm not going to really overpower anyone just kind of just pound the zone, and you know let the defense do the work.
6: You've made the fast track through the organization in the last uh, year and a half Uh, right now the the parent club the Mets they're struggling in the bullpen but they've made the statement uh, that they're not going to bring you up to pitch out of the bullpen would that bother you if they did change their mind and bring you out of the bullpen would you welcome the opportunity to go up there and maybe help them uh, coming out of the pen at least to start?
2: I mean, if they want me to, you know, come out of the bullpen, I'll come out of the bullpen. You know, they, I mean, of course they got a plan for me, and, you know, I'm just going to do whatever they tell me to do. You know, wherever they want me to pitch, that's where I'll pitch.
6: All right, last one. Uh, as you get set to uh, make your second uh, big league start, um, i got to ask you, is there any pitcher that you try to emulate, someone that you watched growing up that you, you try to style yourself after?
2: Yeah. Uh, Andy Peto was my guy to go to. You know, I always, I love, you know, the way he, you know, his pickoff and everything like that. And he's a bulldog on the mound competitor. And, you know, he was always one guy that, you know, when, when he was on the mound, I was glued to the TV. All right, off the
6: field, what are some of the things that Anthony Glady likes to do outside of baseball?
2: Uh, a, lo- a lot of video games, that's for sure. <laughs> All
6: right, my son is your age. Are you a Fortnite guy? Are you one of those uh, gamers type people?
2: Oh, yeah, of course.
6: <laughs> so a little fortnight and a lot of baseball is that is that what you uh, do to t- occupy your time at this stage of your life
2: yeah pretty much if you if you're if I'm not at the baseball field i'm pretty much playing playstation all
0: right
6: <laughs> well we wish you lots of luck as you try to make your rise uh, through the mets uh, organization you've got a lot of bright days ahead of you and i know a lot of people looking forward to you when you make your debut at city field and it'll be a stone's throw from when you grow up there uh in long island
2: thank you thanks for having me
6: Right, that was Anthony Kay, uh, Mets prospect here at bb Ballpark as we are Talking Mets from Charlotte, North Carolina.
5: Hey Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. right now that's metz m-e-r-i-z-e-d online.com and get metzmerized today
4: um he, he's our best reliever um you know we were we were up one run um you know we know that uh, when he has the opportunity to go to the seventh and the eighth our, um he's gonna do it you know he he squeaked through the first one um made some big pitches and, and we had confidence he was going to do it again uh, in the next inning and we had the guy you know, we had the, the guy that hit the homer, 0-2. Uh, we executed two really good pitches to him. And then, uh, you know, we just hung hung a slider there.
2: I was trying to get that slider to go off the plate and uh, just kind of got under it and backed up and it didn't really break very much. Stayed right in his bad, bad path. I don't know, I just wasn't executing pitches. I was kind of, uh, I think I was a little out front, you know, even forcing fastballs running a little bit. I was kind of backing up the curveball. Just not a good day for pitch execution. Was Diaz available for you today for five outs?
4: Uh, not for five outs. Um, he would have thrown the ninth if we'd have gotten to him. So again, no, we're not going to use him for five outs. I know I know, you, you guys keep on asking, but I, my answer is going to stay the same. Just because you think so? Absolutely not. We have a very good plan. We know what we're doing, and uh, we're going to stick to it.
1: Joining me from uh, ESPN Radio 98.7, you can check him out on Twitter at Catino 9 Rich Catino heading down to Philadelphia to cover the final four games of the Mets road trip, and uh, Rich, uh, welcome to the program, and you know what, Rich, I was planning on talking to you about Pete Alonzo's historic home run, uh, another gut-wrenching, gut-punching loss uh, uh, for the Mets today, we were going to talk about that. We were even going to probably talk about maybe the opportunity where you're hearing the Mets moving Ahmed Rosario to center field, but no, you know what we're going to talk about, Rich? We're going to talk about the media again, and Mickey <coughs> Calloway, as uh, about an hour ago or so, the reports came out, and I know you and I have spoken, and you weren't in the clubhouse, but uh, Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas had to be separated from Tim Healy and Newsday. Tim, uh, a friend of the program, has been on this podcast, and um, you know... Uh, not everything has come out. I'm sure more will come out when you're in Philly tomorrow, but um, probably the shades of 1992 and the worst team money can buy after this whole sh- uh, shenanigans in Chicago.
0: Well, like you said, I wasn't in the clubhouse, so uh, you know I really reserve judgment until I could talk to the people involved. But, you know, I think what ends up happening in these situations is what ends up happening today is always a manifestation of what has happened previously. And I will say this, that, you know, I think the relationship between Mickey Calloway and the media is okay. I wouldn't say it's terrible. I wouldn't say it's great. I would say it's okay. And you and I have talked because personally I thought I did not have a good relationship with Mickey Calloway last year, and I spent spring training talking to him about that. And I put all the blame on myself for that, that I could have done a better job as a reporter to make a better relationship with him. And I worked hard at that this year, and not so much in the media scrums, but in conversations I've had with him. We've we'll talked about a lot of stuff, not just baseball, life in general. I think he's a nice man. I think that he felt like he was, you know, um, in, a, in a few good men. He might have felt like Jack Nicholson on the stand, and he might have felt that some of the reporters were, were playing the Tom Cruise role, and he lashed out. I will say this. Um, threatening anybody with physical, you know, harm is never tolerated on any level anywhere in the world. And it won't be tolerated by this reporter either. But I think that, you know, this is a manifestation of stuff. And I think the best thing to do in situations like this, and apparently the Mets are going to come out with a statement later tonight to kind of um, answer some of what had happened, I think the best thing to do is get the people involved in a room, have them talk face-to-face, and figure out what the issues are and figure out if today was just a manifestation of a bunch of things that have been going for the past year and a half with Mickey Calloway and the media. And if it is, I need to get in a room, discuss it, find out where the, where the borderlines are, find out who you know went over and above and beyond what they should do. Get in a room, get together, figure it out, figure out a game plan and make the relationship better. And I'll tell you what, Mike, I'll even moderate that meeting for all the parties involved because honestly, all the parties you've mentioned today that were involved in this, I genuinely like on the Met side and on the media side. I'll even buy lunch. How about that? And we'll get everyone in a room and try to figure out how to make this better.
1: Rich Catino playing, Henry Kissinger is joining us, and uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, follow him at Catino 9 on Twitter. So the statement, and as we're recording this, the, the statement has come out. The Mets obviously are uh, uh, regretting the incident. I'll read it verbatim. The Mets sincerely regret the incident that took place with one of our beat writers following today's game in the clubhouse. We do not condone this type of behavior from any employee. The organization has reached out and apologized to this reporter, and we'll have further discussions internally with all involved parties. Uh, that's the PR statement. Um, You know, look, uh, here's what I would say. And Andy Martino just tweeted about he's not in Chicago, and uh, this speaks to Callaway's lack of professionalism, you know, answering questions is part of the job. And I agree with that. And, look, today was a tough. This is like the fourth or fifth gut-wrenching loss. It would have really put, I think, a lot of the season's negativity uh, away for – for a little bit at least if they had taken three out of four in Chicago and uh, it seems every time they make a move it goes wrong and I could see where Callaway uh, was testy he was testy with Matt E. Holt of the record when he talked about Edwin Diaz fair question Diaz maybe was the right guy to pitch the eighth inning because that was the heart of the Cubs order instead of the ninth Um, but I think this is a manifestation of a lot of different things and I and I think what what I'll defend Callaway on, not his behavior, because he blew up, but he's a human being. Uh, and Vargas, I guess, you know, probably he's just re- defending his manager because I don't, I don't know, see where he would get involved unless said reporter had said something about him that was festering for a while. There's all the snarky comments on Twitter. There's the active campaigning to fire him. Um, I feel like a beat that had no ability to ask a tough question for seven years when Terry Collins was the manager, all of a sudden the last year and a half has been able to really go deep in on Mickey uh, and and analyze and scrutinize just about everything. Now they're going to Brody Van Wagenen and they're taking his come get us statement and they're twisting it. Uh, It seems like there's a very large anti-Wilpon contingent on the beat. There's a lot of closeted Yankee fans. I know for a fact some of them grew up Yankee fans on the beat. I think that that plays into that. And I think there's some guys on the beat that are burnt out from the job in general. And, um, you know, they don't really want to do a good job because I don't see a lot of good reporting day in and day out. I see some. I think there's two or three pros in general in this town uh, and a lot of ways. And I know I'm putting you in a bad spot here, Rich, because I know you've got to see these guys tomorrow, and I don't. Um, but they also have my number, some of these guys, too, if they have an issue with it. Um, this is as poisonous of a beat. Maybe not to the level that the Knicks has been over the last few years, uh, but it's, it's surely coming close, in my opinion, as someone who's observed well, this from the outside.
0: Th- this is the thing that I always try to do when I'm on the beat, and I've been on the Met beat since 1984, so I've probably covered more Met games than anyone on the beat, and except from the broadcasters like Howie Rose and Gary Cohen. I- I've seen more Met games than anyone on the beat. I've been in more clubhouses than anyone on the beat. I've been in more spring trainings than anyone on the beat. And I'll I'll say this. If I had a journalism student that I was trying to teach, I would let them know that the baseball beat is a very hard job and it's not for everybody. And it And it kills your personal life. It kills your family. There's a tremendous amount of traveling. Baseball is like that friend that empties your liquor cabinet and leaves your liquor cabinet empty by the end of the night. So... I think it does that over a season. So I empathize with the lives that they have because I've lived through it too. It cost me a marriage in some ways and and, and tons of things that, you know, just get in the way of your life. So I get it. I understand it. However, I do think that the relationship that a beat reporter has with the manager, it's like any other relationship in your life. You have to work at it every single day. And I said it at the start of the call. I don't think I did a good job of it last year with Mickey Calloway. I put it on my head, not on Mickey's head. And it's gotten so much better this year, in which, you know, I talked to him on the phone. I talked to him in the dugout. It's not just the media scrum. And I worked on that. And it was a goal that I wanted to do in the offseason. And I, I, I think I pretty much accomplished it. Brody is a very outgoing guy. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen would probably not make a lot of money playing poker in Las Vegas because he's going to say what's on his mind, okay? I like that, and I have found a way in speaking to him about things, but I'll tell you what frustrates me sometimes, Mike, that sometimes you sit in the press box, and the narrative's already been written, and now the game is just a detail to kind of make that narrative fit, and I look at my job totally reverse, that the narrative is based on what I see that day, The narrative today is, did Mickey Calloway make the right move? It's Seth Lugo now, not available for two or three days because he's thrown so many pitches in the last three days. And if Edwin Diaz is one of your core players, this is the kind of game you wanted to bring him in. Because as you said, this was not just winning three out of four in Chicago. It would have given the team an emotional lift. So I think all the questions they asked were pertinent questions. Sometimes, though, when the tone of the question is so accusatory, the follow-up just makes the manager manner and manner. So maybe sometimes you're better off not doing the follow-up and doing the follow-up when he's walking out in the hallway and pull him aside, and that's where you do the follow-up. But I think part of the problem is that these media sessions are all televised. They're all out there, and it's a way, too, for reporters to make a name for themselves in the whole session that they're doing. I never look at it that way. I look at it, I have a job. I have a job to do. I hold the ESPN microphone. I make sure it's in the camera shop, but I also make sure that I talk to all the pertinent parties. And, you know, there's been a notion on Twitter that I've been called a lot of things, Mike. I've been called a Mitch Shill. I've been called, you know, a proponent of the organization. I can safely tell you that not a dollar of anything from the Wilpons have come into my wallet while covering this team since 1984. And I will say this, that I think that i I create an objective view as much as I can, but part of objective view, Mike, isn't just pessimistic drilling of a manager. Some of it is looking at players that are, are doing what they're supposed to be doing and more and crediting them. For example, I tweeted out a lot this weekend that I think McNeil and Alonzo are doing for the Mets in so many ways what Acuna and Albie did for the Braves last year, and I've gotten torn down from a variety of people for that. But if you look at the numbers and you look at the type of of you know you look at the type of years both those guys are having, they're all stars. Whether they become all stars or not, I could really care less. They're all stars in my mind, and I think what the men organization doesn't like, and I don't want to speak to the men organization because they may feel totally different than what I'm about to say. I think they want more objectivity from the people that cover the team in terms of credit them when they do something well and certainly disparage them when they do something badly. Certainly ask the questions you want to ask, but don't make it like it's the end of the world. If it's not the answer you want, you want, if it's not, it's not the answer you wanted it to be. And the interrogation and the follow-up questions, sometimes those, as I said, are better done in a one-on-one setting. And I'll tell you, I've lived through a lot of met managers. I lived through Bobby Valentine and the media not liking him. And I developed a relationship with Bobby Valentine where he would, he would describe to me why he put five infielders in the infield in a walk-off situation. Why John Olerud stood in a certain spot in first base and holding a runner. But I didn't do it in a media session. I didn't do it, it to grill him to make him think that I didn't think he knew about baseball. I did it over a slice of pizza in spring training. Or I did it, you know, in the hallway of Shea Stadium. Or I did it in the dugout. And developed a relationship with Bobby Valentine, who helped me so much through 9-11. I lost five people in that building that I grew up with, including my accountant. And Bobby knew I was having trouble with it. And he took me aside and he kind of let me know that, you know, life has to go on. And I'm not trying to make this a corny session on your great show, Mike, but sometimes there are certain relationships you have to work harder at to make it better. And it's not all an equation that's the same for everybody. And I think sometimes the media feels it has to fit into this equation of how you're supposed to interview someone and the answers you're supposed to get, but it's not an equation. Relationships aren't an equation. Every relationship we have in our life is different because every person we have a relationship with in our life is different. I I would gather, Mike, that the, women, the woman you married, you have a much different relationship than the first woman you dated with. And it's the same way in, in the sports reporting. I have a different relationship with... with with Mickey Calloway than I have with Terry Collins. In a lot of ways, my relationship with Terry Collins is much better. But I'm, I'm, I'm working at evolving that so that two years down the road, maybe I can say my relationship with Mickey Calloway is even better than the one I had with Terry Collins. And I think that sometimes it becomes contentious. And when it's an us against them, and you know, I, I'm in, I cover Nick games too, and, and you're around the Nick beat, and you know that they don't like Jim Dolan. And listen, I'm not saying Jim Dolan is a perfect guy in the world because I worked for Cablevision for 10 years and I worked under Jim Dolan. I presented proposals to Jim Dolan. So I know how difficult he is to deal with, okay? But that doesn't mean everything Jim Dolan says is wrong. That doesn't mean everything Jim Dolan does is wrong. Same thing with the Wilpons. You know, when I bring up things in this town where, you know, and you and I had conversations about this, and I brought it up with members of the media where I say, well, the Wilpons aren't all bad. And they said, how can you say that, Rich? I said, well, if you're going to sit here and tell me that it's all about the final result, okay, I don't agree that baseball is about the final result. I think baseball is – I don't think there's only one team that had a good season and every other team had a bad season that doesn't win the World Series that get to the World Series. But if you believe that, then how can you sit here and tell me that Brian Cashman is the best GM you've ever seen? Okay, the New York Yankees, if they don't go to the World Series this year, I'm not saying win the World Series, go to the World Series. It'll be the first time in a century that that doesn't hasn't happened in that organization. And Mike, you read the papers every day. You read websites every day. Have you heard anyone other than me bring that up? No,
1: no. I mean, I I think the challenge here, Rich, is you talk uh, a lot about contentious and I think the relationship. Is contentious with Mickey Calloway. I think it's been like that for a while. Uh, I think it's getting. I think they're they're trying to make it contentious with Brody Van Wagenen. I don't. Know, I don't just think it's the local media. I think there are those at ESPN, the national media, that are trying to do that. I'm trying to figure out why. I mean, Brody Van Wagenen hasn't been here a year. Uh, he's about to uh, complete a really successful draft if they sign Matthew Allen. Uh, I don't get it. I guess a couple of questions is, one, Rich, uh, I don't see how Callaway comes back from this. Um, I think it's inevitable that he will be gone, uh, You know, which may or may not be the right move in the long run because Mickey could go somewhere else and do a really good job as a manager, sort of like Terry Francona. Uh, and two, why do you think that Brody now is the target? I mean, I, I don't see how they've tried to make life worse for the media. Um, I don't get it. I don't get why all of a sudden, because of Come Get Us and because, yeah, they've had a couple of rough years in a row, and this probably wasn't the the best way to start as a new GM. Not everything is bad that's going on here. Yeah, I'm as disappointed as anyone else, but I'm not going to let four or five heart-wrenching losses, which is the difference between 41 and 37, and 37 and 41, all of a sudden change my opinion 180 degrees, which... I feel like if they were 41-37 and after today,
0: that win or loss, none of this would have happened. I agree, And, and I think, you know, you say, why are they after Brody? Same reason why the Nick Media came after Patrick Ewing, and people may forget this, but Patrick guaranteed a lot of things. We're going to win a championship this year. We're going to win. We're going to win. And people made fun of Patrick with that. And I think Brody's, comments were taken that way i didn't take brody's comments that way i'll tell you how i interpreted brody's comments i'm confident we could win this thing and i'm confident we could play with any team in this division and i want the people in my organization to know that's how i feel i want my players to know i want my manager to know i want my coaches to know i want my owner to know i want my bosses to know i want the fans to know and yes i want the media to know too this is the thing that people have to understand about Brody Van Wagen. I made a great attempt at getting him to know him. Brody doesn't care about the perception of him. He doesn't care about it. He doesn't care that you know all the media wants to look at in the Cano trade is that they traded Kalanick. But they didn't trade Jimenez. And in essence, that's the choice they made as a baseball organization with the prospects. That, and I know Jimenez was discussed in that trade. Okay, and the Mets said, no way. So what the Mets said is they think more of Jimenez than they do of Hellenic. Now, you can agree or disagree with that, but I don't ever disparage a general manager when I can understand the philosophy. I may not have to agree with the philosophy, but if I understand the philosophy, Mike, then I, I give him credit, okay? Then I say, okay, I understand the philosophy. I may have done it a little differently this way, but I understand it. The problem I've had when the Mets have built teams in the past is when I couldn't really understand the philosophy, you know, of waiting and waiting and waiting to add players. It's not like the NBA or the NFL where you're trying to get salary cap numbers down so you can find better free agents, okay? And there are times when I thought the Mets should have made moves to bring in other players. I didn't think Keuchel would have been a good move for them. But I do think Kimball would have been a good move for them, And well, it remains to be seen how Kimball does with his new team and how Heichel does with his new team. But my point on the whole thing is I, I would have done it differently, but I understand why Brody didn't do it that way. Um, I respect it because I, I think he's a brilliant baseball guy. I respect him because I think he's always accessible to me whenever I need to talk about and have questions with him. And I think, you know, I hear things and rumblings. People say, well, why does he have to always be around? I'll give you an example. He does a nice thing, and believe me, I've been trying to lose weight, so this hasn't really helped me all that much, but he does a nice thing before every homestand. He leaves, I won't even say the name of the donut company, but he leaves boxes of donuts on the writer's side in the press box for us to have and says, "Have have a good series, have a good homestand or whatever he writes. There was one day where he didn't leave it there, and that became a bigger story, the fact that that the donuts weren't there than any time when he had the donuts there. And all I'm saying about that is that's ridiculous. And, you know, there are times when, you know, listen, I I have a very good relationship with both Jeff and Fred Wilpon. I've covered the Mets for a long time. I've lived through a lot of things. I understand the Madoff thing, and the Madoff thing is what people take as their hatred for the Wilpons, but I think what people need to understand about the Madoff thing, and the Madoff thing has passed, that the Wilpons, although they may not have been as big victims as some people, they were still victims, and the court records have proven that, that they were victims. The guy's best friend took money from Fred Wilpon and the Wilpons family's greatest friends, including... Play? It could have people like Sandy Koufax, okay? So the Mets were victims too. Now, should they have been more aware of what Bernie Manoff was doing? Absolutely. But I think they've taken that story and they've run with it. And when I hear people on the radio, when I hear people on talk shows call Fred Wilpon, Fred Coupon, do, do people understand that in the late 90s and when the Mets went to the Series in the 2000, that the Mets had one of the highest payrolls in baseball? probably in the top five, and they might have even been in the top three. Now, that payroll has vacillated up and down since that time, but don't sit here and tell me that the Wilpons have never put enough money into their organization. It's just not true, and it's the narrative that people want to pursue, and they're going to they're gonna just say anything they want to make that narrative work. I think the payroll the Mets had this year is, 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 is more than enough to build a championship team. Now, the question is now, are the right pieces in that payroll, okay, are the right pieces in that payroll? And that's a legitimate question that you can ask, but the payroll is fine, and that's one of the things that I think people take umbrage with the Will Ponds. And, you know, there's this whole big thing in this, in this whole marketplace now that, you know, writers and stuff and broadcasters want to talk about, who's the worst owner? Like, I, I think that's a ridiculous question. How about we talk about who's, who's the best owner? Isn't that a better question to answer? But every team has had to take umbrage. The Knicks have had to do it. The Knicks have had to be a team that everyone looked at and said, they can't get anything right, okay? Rangers have went through it for years. And even when Neil Smith won a cup, he got umbrage. After he won the cup, they didn't win another cup, okay? So I understand in this town that that's what you do to sell newspapers. I get it. To sell click-throughs. I get it, okay? But what I don't get is when the objectivity becomes so not there that you miss what's there. you want to evaluate the Mets this decade? Well, I'll just say this to all you listeners. Find me another team in New York that's gone to the World Series in this decade. Find me another team in the National League East that's gone to the World Series in this decade. Now, have the Mets done things wrong in this decade? Absolutely. Have the Mets made mistakes in this decade? Absolutely. Have the Mets made bad trades and bad free agent signings in this Absolutely, but you don't get to a World Series being that way, and we saw it with Sandy Alderson that he benefited from some of Omar Minaya's quote mistakes in building his team. There are a lot of good party gifts that Omar Minaya gave Sandy Alderson, and you know what? There are a lot of good party gifts Sandy Alderson gave Brody Van Wagoning, but nobody will look at that, Mike, and give it its objectivity. I try to, but when I try to be objective, and I'll criticize the Mets. I mean, they did an awful job in firing Willie Randolph. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen done to any human being in my 30-plus years of covering sports. Okay? But then don't sit here and tell me that they didn't do anything right in building a 2015 championship team. And people say, well, it wasn't a championship team. They didn't win the World Series. Guys, it's the National League Championship Series. It's called that for a reason, because it's a league championship, okay? So what did they do? They held on to Daniel Murphy because they felt they could get more from him in 2015 than someone else. They went out and got suspects after they had a terrible night in which a trade was negated because of physicals and the fact that it came out, the whole Roma Flores thing. Then they got... Even after that night, they got a great season from Momo Flores, and so big hits from him down the stretch. I don't hear anybody give the Mets credit for winning a pennant, and I have never seen in my life that the moment 2015 World Series is over, I heard things like the Mets were exposed. How about all the teams the Mets exposed? Okay, how about sweeping a Cubs team in a National Championship Series? Okay, do you hear anyone ever talking about that, Mike? Yeah, anyone talking how... Not only did the Mets sweep well, the Cubs I mean, in that series, the Cubs, that right
1: well, the Cubs never had Marines. Well, the problem is the Cubs won a title the year after, and, and, the, and 2015 is a long time away. I mean, look, Rich, uh, it goes back to what I said. Phil Regan, and I didn't agree with the island firing, uh, but Phil Regan brings some interesting things to the table, a lot of experience been in the organization. They made fun of the guy's age. Uh, nowhere else would you be able yep. to get away with that. Uh, they made fun nowhere of the guy's else. age. And nowhere else. And and it started there. That was how this started. Then all of a sudden, Tim Britton of The Athletic comes out with a nice piece about some of the things that Regan's trying to do to stay current. And people like, uh, and, and then they talked about the pitching strategist, Jim Jeremy Accardo. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, maybe there is some kind of sense to this. And I'm like, well, if you took a step back for a minute and actually reported and, and said, let's learn about their mindset, let's not just assume. Like, you know, these guys are not sitting around, you know, smoking weed and making moves, uh, you know, uh, like a bunch of stoners at a moment's notice. They're trying to win, They're trying to win now and they're trying to win in the future. They decided to go that route, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. That's fine. But to make it sound like it's a circus is just beyond stupid. This is an organization that, like you said, has won. But I guess I'll wrap up with this, Rich. Um, do you think Callaway survives this? I mean, what can he do to survive this? And maybe it's premature here on Sunday night to talk about that because you'll be at the ballpark tomorrow, but what does he have to do to survive this? I mean, he, he can't win against the media. Even though they're wrong, they're right, and it's already coming out. They're taking the role as the, the, role as the, as the victim. And maybe Tim Healy is the victim because, I, I, again, by all accounts, he's a great guy. He's been good to the show. And maybe he was in the wrong place and said the wrong thing at the wrong time. I, I think the, Mickey's anger was was burgeoning way before he said,
0: you know, see you tomorrow, Mickey.
1: Um, can Mickey survive? Well, the well
0: yeah, I think, I think, the, think the fact that the Mets have come Mets. out with a statement indicates that they think the people involved that work for the Mets, and that's Callaway Vargas, have some culpability here. That's not going to help Mickey in his fight to keep his job for the whole season. I I do think that it would be unlikely the Mets to make a move unless these issues become even chronic and, and, and happen again. I think that, you know, but that all being said, when you're in a situation like this and something like this happens, and listen, I can only compare it to one thing, the Adam Rubin thing when Omar I was the GM. And, you know, you apologize, hopefully you past it, But then I think, as a manager, you have to worry about, now, do I have to worry about people trying to trip me up to make me angry again and get me in trouble with the organization because of something in the media? And if that's the case, then Mickey's going to be even less truthful in his responses than the media thinks that he is now. So that's why I said the parties need to get in a room. An apology is nice, but the parties need to get in a room and discuss Mickey needs to be honest with the media and just say, this is what I take umbrage with. We have to set some baseline. We have to set some process here. And maybe when I have the tougher questions, and I'll have one-on-one conversations with you guys more frequently, there's got to be a way to do that. And like I said at the start of the show, I'm willing to moderate it, and I'm willing to buy lunch. And I think you know me well enough, Mike, that it'll be a tasty lunch.
1: Rich, uh, drive safe down to Philly. Uh, looking forward to more Mets baseball this week. Wish we could talk about Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil and, and Phil Regan, but um, we did an audible. This is an ultimate audible. So, anyway, be well. We'll talk again, Rich. All righty?
0: All right, Mike. Stay well, my friend.
1: Rich Catino, ESPN, 98.7 ESPN at Cattino 9. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.
5: Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled, all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today.
1: I want to thank everybody for tuning in a little bit longer than we normally go here on the program. I want to thank our good friend down in North Carolina, Jim Mojo Morrison, at Jim Mojo Morrison on Twitter. I want to thank Anthony Kaye for joining him. And for coming on the program. Uh, good luck to him as he continues his progression through the Mets system. I want to thank Rich Catino at Catino 9, ESPN, 987 ESPN for spending some time with us and doing a little bit of an audible after all the craziness that happened uh, in the afternoon. I want to thank the guys over at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire i'm your host mike silva enjoy your week we'll be back with more talking about soon maybe sooner than you think take care everybody